Hi everybody, my name is Greg Hancock, and along with my high-sensitivity friend Patrick Curran, we make up Quantitude. We're a podcast dedicated to all things quantitative, ranging from the relevant to the completely irrelevant. In today's episode, we use the context of COVID rapid tests to discuss issues of sensitivity, specificity, positive and negative predicted values, and the generally questionable utility of test accuracy information. Along the way, we also mention escape rooms, C4, Embassy Suites, Palak Paneer, 93% Accurate, Astragali, SAT Prep Courses, The Volume of a Cone, Risk and Burden, and Digging Up the Rev. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you, too. I know Christmas is not high on your list of holidays if you integrate over a 12-month period, but you came out on the other <laughs> side okay? <laughs> I did. I spent most of the holiday time with my in-laws, but it was a nice chance for the kids to spend time with them. That also included Goldie's brother, who was home. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> you're, you're laughing already. I am, because you have told me a hundred stories about this guy. Uh -huh. So he's a trained killer. Um, I'm not allowed to divulge uh, his, his secrets. But yeah, he's a special forces army guy, which means that think about the worst day you have ever had in your life. And for him, that would be just like a Tuesday, right? In terms of the extreme <laughs> things that happen. But no, he's a great guy, a lot of fun to spend time with. Has many stories he can't tell, but even the ones he can are phenomenal. One thing we did with him, which was funny, we were talking about escape rooms. Have you done an escape room? I'm not a big escape room fan. Okay. <laughs> that falls under crossword puzzles for me, too. Okay. I appreciate that they're engaging, but maybe not for me. Okay. Well, we were talking about them as a family, and he asked, as if he's lived under a rock, um, maybe he has and can't tell us. So he goes, wait, what's an escape room? And so we described it an escape room and he's like, oh, that we're doing it. We're find one. Let's go do it. And so we found an escape room near where my in-laws live and went and did it. And it was a blast. I mean, he pretty much just wanted to shoot a hole in the door for <laughs> us to escape. <laughs> I can get out of here in 10 seconds. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's not how this works. <laughs> Put the C4 away. <laughs> but the best part, when I'm doing these things with the kids, you know, I like to pull back and sort of let them figure things out. And if I know something that's helpful, I might volunteer it if they're stuck. But one of the last clues, and I mean, the clock is ticking. We're getting almost to the hour mark and we have two essentially locks left to get through to be able to get out of the room. And one of the last clues is you have to put on these glasses and look at an image on the wall and it tells you a certain color-coded combination that you have to do to open some other lock. And so Josh puts on the glasses and he's looking at this image on the wall and it's like, is it red? Is it green? I, wait, I can't tell what, and you have to know the color to be able to open this other lock. He hands the glasses to Quinn who looks, I don't know. He hands the glasses. I don't know. Everybody else in the room is colorblind. Everybody. And one of the final clues of this room is color-based <laughs> clue. So I, I was useful. I could actually tell what color was red and green and all these codes. So we managed to get the lock and we got out of the room with four minutes to spare. But it was such a great experience and so much fun doing it with someone who's, you know, whose life maybe is an escape room a lot of the time. <laughs> So tell me about you. How about your holiday? You seem to like the Christmas thing a lot more than I do. So it's my favorite of the year, I admit. 
By family tradition, Christmas Eve is the big celebration and traditional dinner and Christmas present opening and things like that. Mm -hmm. I can't actually use the term I want to use on air because this is a family-friendly podcast. Mm. I will go with this year was a cat rodeo. (laughs) All right. Very briefly, I grew up in Denver. My brother and his family are still there. My mom is still there. My wife and I and two kids went to Denver to stay with my brother. We packed on to Southwest Airlines with N95 masks, and we went. We were there a couple of days. One of my kids, Annie, was feeling a little headache, you know, a little achy. Mm -hmm. And my wife is very thoughtful about these things. And my wife said, well, let's go get a rapid test. Just to be sure. Mm -hmm. They sat in line in their car for four hours on the 24th, got a rapid test, and it came back positive. Oh, no. It's about five o'clock on the 24th. This is where you release the cats into the rodeo arena. (laughs) We packed up everything in the house, and we got two rooms at the Embassy Suites. Oh. And Annie and Andrea had a room, and Christy and I had a room, and the thinking was, if Annie was positive, Andrea was probably exposed as well. Sure. We had amazing Christmas Eve Indian takeout for dinner. Nice. Because it was the only restaurant open, and it was (laughs) delicious. Uh Uh-huh. We opened presents sitting 25 feet apart. (laughs) Then, long story short, Christy and I flew home Andrea was a soldier, rented a car, drove three days back. Wow. In the driveway, we gave them a rapid test, and everybody was negative, everybody's healthy, everybody is fine. As I tell the kids, you will look back at some point over 50 Christmases, and the vast majority of them will merge into one another. (laughs) But there was only one Indian food embassy (laughs) suites Christmas Eve Sitting in the hallway of the hotel opening presents, we actually had a blast. But it kind of brings us to our topic for today, because we had multiple extended conversations of, all right, Annie's test was positive. Did they have COVID? Well, it's a little trickier than you might think. Because the box says it's 93% accurate. (laughs) Well, all right then. So there's a 93% chance that Annie has COVID. Uh, Because they tested positive. That's what the consumer would be led to believe, right? By a statement like that. Any reasonable person. That is the point of today. You have a rapid test and everybody out there, you've either taken one, you know someone who's taken one, you know where you can go to get one. One of the punchlines that we are going to push really hard is to say that a test is 93% accurate is using a statistical term, crap, (laughs) until we think about it a little bit more carefully. It's all crap. Welcome to all things Scottish. Our slogan is, if it's no Scottish, it's crap! (laughs) And thinking about it a little bit more carefully means unpacking a lot of terms, nailing down what they do mean, what they don't mean. But it starts right with the term probability. So let's put a pin in 93% accurate and just sort of let it be there on the wall and annoy us. And back up a little bit and start building up to that concept. 
The first one is probability. Because even when someone says probability, they're not necessarily talking about the exact same thing. And I think about a variety of different definitions of something as fundamental as probability. So in terms of probability, there are classical kinds of definitions of probability. If we think about the flipping of a coin, for example, if we think a heads versus a tails, neither has any advantage over the other in terms of probability, then we would say, well, you know, there are two possibilities, each one being equally likely. So the probability of getting a heads would be 0.50 and the probability of getting a tails also 0.50. So there's a classical notion where we think about all of the possible outcomes and how many of those represent the criterion of interest, like flipping a tails or flipping a heads. There's an empirical probability where if someone hands you a the sheep bone? It was like an astragal, asparagus, astragalus, something like that, right? Astragali, yeah, something like that. Okay. It was the heel bone of a sheep. Yeah. Before there were dice that came with whatever your game is that you're playing, there were sheep bones. And in fact, there's that old expression about rolling the dice, you know, roll the bones. Why does it happen? Because it happens. Maybe that has some origin in the sheep bones. Hancock. Yeah? Stay on task here. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's a laser pointer. But, you know, if you give me a sheep bone, and let's say a sheep bone is this kind of tetrahedron shape, I have no idea what the chance is that it's going to land on this side versus that side versus that side. And so what could I do? Well, I could try and figure out the probability associated with those sides empirically by flipping that bone 100 times, 1,000 times, 10,000 times, until eventually I converge upon some empirical assessment of what the likelihood is of getting any one particular side of that bone. And one of the probabilities that we actually come up with most of the time when we're talking with friends during daily life is actually just a subjective probability, probability that comes out of your gut which might be extremely uninformed or it might be kind of informed. I'm told tonight there is like a 70% chance of snow. If you think about where that came from, did they rerun tonight over and over and over like 10,000 times and that's what happened? And (laughs) actually the answer is they kind of did, right? With a simulation (laughs) of what's going to happen tonight. But the idea is that you're trying to use whatever information you have at hand, whether it's just your own personal experience or maybe weather patterns or maybe what tends to happen in January and coming up with some sort of probability assessment. So we'd use a lot of subjective values for probabilities in day-to-day life. And put very specific numerical values on them, even though they're completely subjective. My wife and I are faculty in the same department, and she will say, well, do you think that UNC is going to go online for instruction in the first two weeks? And I will say, you know, I'd go two and three that they'll probably go online. I have no idea. Sure. I have absolutely no idea at all. And not only do I have no idea, but I feel compelled to put a very specific value on it. (laughs) 0.63, I think. (laughs) Yeah, right. So if you are a betting person, and I know that you have been a betting person, but you've also been a horribly bad betting person. I lose and I don't pay up. (laughs) But if you are interested in a sports event, for example, you know, what is the probability that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win the Super Bowl again this year? There are people whose job it is to try to estimate that. But in the end, it's really just some subjective value. And those guide our behaviors, whether it's betting behavior or health behavior or 
preparing some materials to go online kinds of behavior, those subjective values that we encounter, those probabilities, have an impact on the way we conduct ourselves. There is a book. I don't know if you've seen this. Somebody gave it to me as a joke, and I use it in my undergrad class. And if you're out there and teach... I really recommend taking a look at this, especially for undergrad level or even high school for that matter. It's by two guys named Gonick and Smith, and they have a whole series of these, and they're called cartoon guides. Mm -hmm. And they have a cartoon guide to calculus, a cartoon guide to engineering. They have all of these things. There is the cartoon guide to statistics. Mm -hmm. It is really good. It is well-written. It's well-done. It's accessible. They have these adorable little cartoon characters throughout. They have one of the best chapters on probability in any book that I'm aware of in terms of laying down the things that you just talked about. Yeah. The basic things that we can talk about here that relate to Annie's COVID test, because that really is the motivation. We want to come back to that. We can think about two core concepts in probability. One is independence and joint events. Mm -hmm. So what is the probability that you're going to get three heads in a row? Well, assuming a fair coin and assuming they're independent, that is the outcome of each one does not impact the other. Mm -hmm. We have this wonderful product rule where it's just 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.5 is the probability of getting three heads in a row. So those are joint independent events. The one that is really most important here is conditional probability. Mm -hmm. And that is instead of what is the probability of A, Or what is the probability of B? The question becomes, what is the probability of A given that B has occurred? Picture in your mind's eye, P parentheses A, and then a vertical line B. That's what we talk about of A given B. Well, if they're independent, what is the probability of getting ahead on your second flip if you got ahead on your first flip? Well, it's irrelevant because they're independent. My kids went through SAT prep, and they had an option where they guaranteed a score of 1,400 or above, or you get a full refund on the prep. Mm. Showing the differences in twins, one of my kids was like, yeah, I don't care. I'm not doing that. And the other one said, yeah, I'll take that option. But it's not just guaranteeing a 1,400 or above. They had to take a practice test and score above 1,300 before they could have the guarantee 1,400. Mm. So they're figuring out at their end, what's the probability of someone getting higher than a 1,400 given the condition that they have already in a practice test achieved at least a 1,300? Exactly. Okay. And so if I took it and got a negative 200, I would not qualify (laughs) because I still can't remember how to find the volume of a cone. (laughs) Hi, this is Quinn Hancock, and I did just take the SAT. The volume of a cone is one-third pi r squared h, where r is the radius of the circular base and h is the height of the cone, obviously. But this is fundamental to what we're talking about, because what is the probability that Annie would test positive given they had COVID is absolutely not the same as what is the probability that Annie has COVID given they tested positive. Oof, already so this is getting a bit confusing, and we have to somehow tie all of this back to that accuracy statement that is still pinned on the wall. 
So we mentioned a little bit about probability. We mentioned a little bit about independence of probabilities. You talked about conditional probabilities, which are really key for what we're going to try to unpack here. Funny thing about those probabilities, right, is that the average person doesn't really have a good sense of those kinds of things when it comes to flipping coins, right? A person has this gut sense that I, I, I just flipped four heads in a row. There's no way the next one is going to be heads. Heads. A weaker man might be moved to re-examine his faith. If nothing else, at least in the law of probability... Heads. People's subjective sense of conditional probability doesn't necessarily align with the actual probabilities or conditional probabilities that are there. Shall we take a slight foray into biostatistics? So you mean talk about stuff we don't know anything about? Exactly. I'm sorry, dude. I thought we were on board with this episode. This week on Quantitude. Yeah, so I think what you're referring to is terms like specificity and sensitivity, which are directly on point for assessing whether or not a test seems to be doing the right thing. That is exactly right. You might be making your tea and settling down and for some ridiculous reason listening to us while doing that in the morning and say, oh, well, that's kind of interesting, but what does it have to do with me? Dude, type 1 error, type 2 error, power, p-values, it is exactly the same thing. Totally. So as we talk about this stuff, don't think about this being someone else's problem. This is hypothesis testing, but we're just going to do it with respect to Annie. And did they need to sit in the hallway and open their presents (laughs) at Embassy Suites while eating Palak Paneer or not? Nice. Okay. A couple of definitions, one of which is just a good starting point. We need to differentiate incidence and prevalence. Ah, Prevalence is the critical one. Incidence is not in what we're talking about here, but there's a lot of confusion. Incidence is a ratio of the number of new cases divided by the number of people who are at risk for getting that condition over some period of time. Mm. And so what it is, is it's a rate of the people who did not have the condition, how many got it. Okay. That's not related to what we're going to talk about now, but it's a nice starting point, incidence. What's critically important to what we're going to talk about here is what's called prevalence. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is what is the percent of the population who has the disease? You know what I like is sometimes in biostats, they talk about incidence as risk and prevalence as burden. Hmm. What is the burden on society? We're not going to talk about incidence anymore. We'll start with prevalence. Okay. So prevalence is the proportion of people in a given population who have this particular condition or disease. It is. Except, is that the whole population? Uh... Does that include my 90-year-old mom? Uh (laughs) When we think about Annie's test, I want to keep circling back because at the end of the day, we're going to give away a punchline to this conversation. A test that's 93% accurate and indicates a positive result, there's not a 93% chance that Annie has COVID. And indeed, it can be drastically lower than that. And it in part depends on the prevalence. So the prevalence is the percent of the population. Is the population everyone in the continental U.S.? Is the population Colorado? Is the population Denver? But one more wrinkle is Annie is a healthy, athletic 17-year-old who is vaccinated and boosted. 
Is that the population? Okay. So prevalence is a moving target at best, and it's also something that however you define that population, you don't know the prevalence, right? You you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't know it without assessing all of the people who are in that particular population. So that's unsettling to start. You're exactly right. There are two things that you're raising. One is We simply don't know what the prevalence is. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible to determine because think about how many people are taking home tests and do have COVID but are not reporting it to any governing body, right? So not only do we have no idea of knowing what the actual prevalence is, but the one that bothers me more, going back to what I alluded to before, is to what population does Annie belong? Yes. Healthy, athletic, vaccinated teenagers or the population of Denver. So, like I said, this is already sort of setting us on an uneasy footing, and I think that's healthy. That's the way it should be. So where do we go from here in terms of understanding that test's accuracy? What are the components of accuracy? So we got incidents and we got prevalence, but now we've got to use those notions, or at least that of prevalence, to talk about sensitivity and specificity. So help us understand what those are. Right. Well, staring at the thing that we tacked on the wall, that accuracy of 93%. (laughs) I still laugh when I think about it. The test is 93% accurate is just an inane, useless statement. But it feels useful as a consumer, right? So let's think about what it would mean to us as a lay person for something to be accurate. And my lay interpretation of that is it's telling me the right thing. That's the way I think about accuracy. And what would that mean? It's telling me the right thing. Well, I think what that would mean is that if I have the disease, the test is going to tell me I have the disease. If I don't have the disease, the test is going to tell me I don't have the disease. That, to me, is what accuracy would mean. Now, if I say that a little bit more precisely, and I'm using the term disease collectively, right, whatever it is we're assessing. So I think that what that would mean is that if I truly, and I don't know if I do, but if I truly do have whatever this condition is, and the test tells me that I do, that's a win. That would be the sensitivity of the test, the conditional probability of giving you a positive result given the condition that you actually have whatever that particular condition is. That is going to be the sensitivity of a test. So that's a piece of accuracy, but it's not all of accuracy because I want to test also, if I don't have whatever it is this test is supposed to be testing, we'll just say a disease, If I don't have whatever this disease is, then by God, I want the test to tell me I don't have the disease. So this other piece of accuracy is called the specificity. The specificity is the probability of giving me a negative result given the true condition that I actually don't have the disease. So when people talk about accuracy, usually it's some amalgam of the sensitivity of the test and the specificity of the test. But even those don't tell you exactly the same thing. And there's no reason those would have the same probability. And indeed, they can have quite different probabilities, Mm -hmm. either as a characteristic of the test or as an explicit part of the design of the test, right? Because what this relates to is where do you want to make your errors, or at least where are you willing? to make your errors. All right, so I know this is tricky to keep your head around, so I'm simply going to repeat what Greg said. Sensitivity is the probability that you will test positive if you have COVID. Specificity is the probability that you will test negative if you do not have COVID. Sensitivity is a true positive. 
Specificity is a true negative. All right, now picture a two-by-two contingency table. Mm -hmm. Let's say that the rows are you test positive or you test negative. And the column is you have COVID or you do not have COVID. We only talked about two cells in that, the two correct decisions. You test positive and you have it. You test negative and you do not have it. But what about those two other cells? Hmm. Well, one minus sensitivity is the probability that you get a negative result if you have COVID, a false negative. The other cell is a false positive. The probability that you test positive if you do not have COVID. Hmm. So again, I know there's lots running around here, but sensitivity is you test positive if you have COVID, specificity is you test negative if you do not have COVID. The FDA advertising colloquially the accuracy of the test really is referring to one or both of sensitivity or specificity. What I found in doing a bit of reading on this is it almost always in terms of colloquial advertising or on the website or on the side of the box, if they say the test is 93% accurate, almost always they're referring to sensitivity, Mm. that there is a 93% chance you're going to test positive if you have COVID. All right, now let's go to Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Annie tested positive. The test is 93% accurate. It has a sensitivity of 0.93. So there's a 93% chance that Annie will test positive if they have COVID. I don't give a rat's ass about that probability. (laughs) Do you know what I want to know? What's that? What is the probability that Annie has COVID given they tested positive? Hmm. That is neither sensitivity or one minus sensitivity, and that is not specificity or one minus specificity. That is something entirely different. Right. And that's uh, what, positive predicted value? There's a positive predicted value, and there is a negative predicted value. And this is where we get a dig up from my backyard. I got to go further back into the yard. Wow. Because his corpse has been out there for several hundred years. Our favorite reverend, Reverend Bays. You're digging up the Rev? I'm going to dig up Bays to make Roy Levy happy, all right? (laughs) We're going to drag in Bays' corpse because what Annie got was the equivalent of the probability of A given B. Mm -hmm. There's a 93% chance that they scored positive given they have COVID. I don't care about that because I want to make cheese fondue. That's our traditional dinner. And I'm in charge of making (laughs) cheese fondue. It is five o'clock on the 24th. And I could not care less. What is the probability that Annie is going to test positive if they have COVID? What I want to do is flip that. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what is the probability that they have COVID Given that I know they tested positive, that is positive predictive value, all right? So we're going to talk about PPV, which is positive predictive value, and NPV, which is negative predictive value. PPV is what is the probability you have COVID if you obtained a positive test. NPV is the flip. What is the probability that you do not have COVID given you got a negative test? Selfishly, I don't care about that second one either because they didn't get a negative test. They got a positive test. We know this podcast is about me. (laughs) I want to go in and make cheese fondue. (laughs) 
what we have to do is drag in the reverend's corpse and say, dude, several hundred years ago, you showed us that if you have the probability of A given B, we're actually able to compute the probability of B given A if we have some other information available. Oh, man, that other information. And that's where life gets interesting. Yeah. So in order to be able to do that, I'm going to have to know some of that prevalence information that you alluded to. <laughs> okay, Gravedigger, you're the one who <laughs> you're the one who dug up the rev. So I now defy you to give a good explanation of Bayes' theorem in this context with no visual tools whatsoever. Go ahead, show us what you got. All right, you ready? I'm ready. I'm going to do it generically, and then I'm going to map it onto Annie. So Bayes' theorem is a mathematical expression of converting probabilities. We can compute the probability of A given B as a function of three components. Mm -hmm. Probability of A given B equals the probability of B given A times the probability of A divided by the probability of B. Think about this. This is really cool. If I give you the probability of B given A, the probability of A, and the probability of B, I can actually convert that to the probability of A given B. That's Bayes' theorem. All right, who cares? Well, Annie cares. Because the accuracy of the test, as it's described, is the probability of testing positive given you have COVID. But what we want is, what's the probability that you have COVID given you tested positive? We want to use Bayes' theorem to convert sensitivity to positive predictive value. So we can take this sensitivity value, what is the probability that you test positive if you have the disease, multiply it by the probability that you have the disease mm -hmm. divided by the probability you are going to test positive. So here's where things get really hard. We're back to that prevalence. What is the probability of the disease in the population? Well, that plays a critical role in flipping this conditional probability to get that PPV. Absolutely. If you just think about the two-by-two two grid that you asked us to visualize, that top row represents all the people who would get a positive test. That first column on the left represents all the people who actually have COVID. So that means that that upper left cell, that northwest corner, represents all the people who have a positive test and who actually have COVID. So those are the folks that we're talking about right now. And what we're saying with regard to sensitivity versus positive predictive value really just sort of is like whether you're looking at this problem horizontally or looking at this problem vertically. Horizontally is all the people who got a positive test. Vertically is all the people who had COVID. So if you think about what a company is telling you with their 93% accuracy, or more specifically, their 93% sensitivity, they are saying, if we look at all the people in that first column who have COVID, what proportion of those people would get a positive test? That is the conditional probability that we're talking about with regard to sensitivity, with regard to accuracy. What Bayes' theorem is trying to help you do, as Patrick is describing, is to take what you know to be vertically and flip it over horizontally. And that is to say that we have now all the people who test positive 
given that you have tested positive, what is the probability that you actually have the disease? So for me, Bayes' theorem is really just about moving from that vertical to that horizontal. And in order to do that, I need to know how many people overall are in that first column, or at least I need to know it as a proportion, and I need to know the sum across that row, all the people who would test positive, or at least the probability of testing positive. So Bayes' theorem is a way of taking the vertical information that you're given and converting it to the horizontal information that you actually want when you're sitting there on Christmas Eve wanting to make cheese fondue. So let's throw some sample numbers on this and talk about whether we should have been at the Embassy Suites or not. (laughs) Okay. I scribbled in the margins here a couple of calculations. And I want to make two points here. Mm -hmm. One is the difference between sensitivity, specificity, and positive predictive value. Mm -hmm. All right, the sometimes radical difference. And second, the role of prevalence. What is the proportion of the population who has the condition? Imagine the test has a sensitivity of 0.9 and a specificity of 0.9. Okay. So colloquially, we say the test is 90% accurate. And let's say the prevalence is 20%. So in the population, however you define it, Mm -hmm. the prevalence is 20%. When you do what you just described, the PPV is 69%. So let's think about that. The sensitivity is 0.9, meaning there's a 90% probability that you will test positive if you have COVID. Okay. That converts into a 69% probability that you will have COVID if you test positive. Wow. Now, Annie is 17 years old, very athletic, very healthy, vaccinated, and boosted, Mm -hmm. let's make their prevalence 5%. Which is probably way overestimating it. It's probably still an overestimate. Same sensitivity, Mm 0.9. Same specificity, 0.9. A prevalence of 5%. Their PPV is 32%. Wait, so what that means is, to get my head around it, given the condition that a person got a positive test... The probability that they actually have COVID is only 0.3 something? Exactly. Oh my gosh. So with a test that is 90% accurate and you get a positive result, if the prevalence is 5%, there's a one in three chance you actually have COVID given a positive test. Right. So a two in three chance that you actually don't. There's a better chance that Annie didn't have COVID than had COVID even though a positive result appeared on the test. That's exactly right. And I have no way of knowing, but I still think 5% is probably an overestimate. Mm -hmm. If you lowered prevalence even down to 2%, I mean, you're getting down to where in the driveway of my brother's house as I'm on my phone booking a room at the embassy suites, there was probably an 80 or 90% chance that Annie did not have COVID. So I've got all of these probabilities rolling around in my head. I've got a prevalence. I have a positive predictive value. I have a sensitivity. I've got all of this stuff. Let's imagine I'm staring at this value of 0.93 that represents the sensitivity. Even if that were what I'm interested in, is that a truth? But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more! 
everything we've been talking about have been treating these as fixed and known values. <sighs> so a 0.93 sensitivity and doing my little calculations, these are based on sample data that themselves have confidence intervals. Oy. Can I give you a poke in the eye? <laughs> Would you? Happy New Year. Sure. All right. I went to Walgreens yesterday and they had some rapid tests on the shelf. So I grabbed a couple and I've got a box here. Mm -hmm. I literally am holding the box of the rapid test. Yep. I'm going to read a little bit that came with the instructions inside. I'm not going to identify what the maker is, but it is FDA approved. The performance of this test was established in an all comers clinical study conducted between March and May of 2021. Of 172 nasal swabs collected or pair collected by another study participant from 108 individuals who were symptomatic and 64 patients who were non-symptomatic, the home test was compared to an FDA-authorized molecular SARS-CoV-2 test. The home test correctly identified 93% of positive specimens. All right, that's on the box. Oof, there's a lot going on in there. There is a lot. All right, and there are three things that I think are critical. One is, is that 0.93 has a confidence interval, 0.72 to 0.98. Oh my gosh, that's a tremendous uncertainty. Second, the entire sample, and this is what led to FDA approval, was 172 subjects. Mm. Third, it's compared to another test that has its own sensitivity its own specificity, and its own PPV. How do I know the validity of this measure? Well, I correlated it with that measure. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope that other measure is a good one. So everything we've been talking about up till now, one has assumed we know the true state of disease. Mm -hmm. And two, that these are population values, that the sensitivity is 0.93. Neither of those hold. These numbers are verging on useless. <laughs> that's, that's a very Patrickly dramatic statement. <laughs> that's not a real word. It's I, I adverb you. <laughs> All right, wait, 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 wait. I'm not going to let you get off that easy. Uh, would you say useless? It was Patrickly useless. Yes. <laughs> that's redundant. What I'm responding to is when Annie got their test, a healthcare professional with significant authority said, this is a highly accurate test, so the result is very likely true. Hmm. That's the useless part. We traveled into biostatistics, which we know nothing about. Can I now go into public health, which we know oh, nothing oh about? Oh my gosh, would you? <laughs> Here is my opinion. Mm -hmm. I believe rapid home tests are one of the most important interventions that we have in helping control the pandemic. What it mm -hmm. is, is a red flashing warning light in a cockpit. <laughs> Here we go. You went 40 minutes with an airplane analogy, but go ahead. You have a flashing light that says an engine is overheating. Odds are it's probably not, but it might be. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You shut it down, you get to safety, and you do a more detailed diagnostic. So how does that play out here? You get a positive at-home test. First, mm -hmm. you treat it as if you have COVID. So you follow CDC guidelines, you isolate, you quarantine, you social distance, you wear masks. You drive across the country. Drive across the <laughs> country. 
but you treat it as if it's true. Part two, if you get a positive test, whether it be yourself or someone else, they may well not have it. Yeah. So don't lose your mind about it, right? <laughs> Is it possible they have COVID? Absolutely. Is it probable? It may not even be probable. It may be far more likely that they don't have COVID than they do, but it's a flashing warning light, meaning there might be a problem here and you need to treat this as a potential issue and get the plane down into safety. Okay, fair enough. So why have we talked so much about these probabilities then? We need to treat probability with the respect that it deserves. Mm -hmm. If a test is 93% accurate, it does not mean that there's a high likelihood that you have COVID if you tested positive. That is simply mm -hmm. not factually the case. We all, you and me and everyone who is listening to this, has an ethical obligation to treat these numbers numbers knowingly and with respect so that we can move forward as an individual embedded within society. That's why probability demands respect. I like that a lot. I like the theme of respecting probability. In the end, this isn't really just about COVID rapid tests. This is about probability more generally. The whole purpose of this episode isn't just about specificity and sensitivity and accuracy and prevalence, although I think that's incredibly useful. And I think people out there need to understand what the information they have in their hand means and absolutely what it doesn't mean. But for all of those people out there who do quantitative things that don't deal with these directly, guess what? The quantitative things that you do do deal with these directly, but they might just go by different names. So when we talk, for example, about a false positive, wait a minute. All of this false positive stuff that we've been talking about really is just like type 1 error rates. And false negative stuff is just a type 2 error rate. So everything that we've talked about has a direct connection to statistical things much more broadly. And sensitivity is power. And one minus specificity is type 1 error. I love that tie because somehow thinking about an individual with a COVID test and do they or do they not have COVID makes it so much more salient of saying, oh, there's this probability and there's that probability and it's not the same probability. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about my kid is in the driveway and I want to bring him inside, what's the probability that they actually have COVID is just this kind of in your face, it makes sense. But you know what was fun? We got everybody home safe and sound. We did the tests in the driveway. We actually did double, and they both came out negative. And we came inside, and I made cheese fondue. So we had what we called second Christmas. We had a Palak Paneer Embassy <laughs> Suites Christmas, which is one of the most memorable that I have had. Of course. And we had a second Christmas here in Chapel Hill. I love a happy ending. All right, my friend, this was fun to talk about. Please take care of yourselves out there, and we look forward to being with you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to Quantitude on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you feed your inexplicable addiction to listening to a couple of morons prattle on for an hour. And please leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are at QuantitudePod. Or visit our completely redesigned website, QuantitudePod.org, for past episodes, searchable playlists, show notes, a portal for contacting us, and other cool stuff. Finally, you can get awesome Quantitude merch in preparation for the rapidly approaching Valentine's Day holiday at redbubble.com, where all proceeds go to donors choose to support low-income schools. Seriously, don't you want to avoid a repeat of last year's debacle that involved a 5 a.m. trip out in the snow for grocery store flowers? 
You have been listening to Quantitude, the Embassy Suites of Podcasts. Quantitude has been brought to you by Degree of Difficulty Waiting for Article Reviews. Inspired by competitive diving, reviewer recommendations will now be up or down weighted by the difficulty of the research question addressed. Shouldn't a modestly executed 109C be scored higher than a flawless 203B? By the Cartoon Guide to Romantic Relationships. If you can successfully explain the asymptotic limits of the binomial probability distribution using cute little sketches, why not help some of us to not be a wiener when interacting with our partners? And by the Quantitude at-home rapid COVID test. We admittedly know absolutely nothing about any aspect of COVID testing, but we are both quite good at generating random numbers, so we figure our test is about as useful as any other that is currently available. The Quantitude at-home rapid test is not yet approved by the FDA. This is most definitely not NPR. Hi, this is Patrick's brother, Dan. We were sure sorry that Annie, Christy, and Andrea had to leave our house even before Christmas. But you know what? It turns out that we really weren't that sorry to see my brother go. In fact, not having him there might have made it one of the best and most meaningful Christmases we've had in a long time. Anyway, Happy New Year!